Thank you, Sarah, for blessing us, you and your daughter. We are grateful you guys are here today helping us out. Um, everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah? Anybody tired of turkey? So here's my question for today. Leftover turkey sandwiches. Raise your hand if it has to be white bread. White bread toasted. Raise your hand if it has to be wheat bread. That's ridiculous, people. Y'all are killing me. Do y'all even know how to make a proper... That is so... I got upset. I have to confess this. Thursday night, first off, this has nothing to do with today's message, so I don't really care at this point. Thursday, we roasted a beautiful bird, and it was it was very tasty. And then that night, my brother said, we don't have enough turkey, so let's fry one. So we fried a turkey. Anybody ever had fried turkey? It's delicious. You're missing out. Sorry for you. So he fries one, and then I go to the pantry, and I said, where's the white bread? Because I always count on my folks to have white bread. I mean, that's just the way we grew up, right? White bread. They didn't transition to the wheat movement. They still had, so there was no white bread in it. Apparently, we've converted them to wheat bread, so I was a little disappointed. And so then someone says, Karen, to your point, someone says, well, there's Hawaiian bread rolls still left over. Changed my life. Like, like Jesus is good and all, and so there's like Jesus and then Hawaiian Maybe a little bit of that. This is delicious. Do you put cranberry sauce on the turkey in your bread sandwich? Really? I need to teach you guys some things. No, no, I'm good. You gotta have lettuce. By the way, there was a recall on romaine lettuce, which really messed up my sandwich. But don't worry, spring mix worked just as well. All right, I'm done with turkey for now, and we're on to Christmas. Who's got their Christmas stuff up? Yes? Who has their Christmas tree? Sweet. Okay, who thinks Christmas is complicated? Who sometimes thinks we overblow Christmas? Who's in here? Some of you aren't raising your head. You're just nodding to me. Um, who thinks sometimes we um, blow it a little out of proportion? So today, this series, the next four weeks, we're uh, actually we're going to do, yeah, four weeks. We're going to do that, and then Christmas Eve, we'll wrap it up. We're going to talk about getting back to a simple Christmas. Um, something in my heart that it, I think a lot of times we take things and, and we run with them, and we, we as individuals make them complicated. I don't think God's intent was ever for things to be complicated. I think we, by our sinful nature, we tend to just make things complicated on our own. And we tend to do a very good job of it. Um, We make relationships complicated. We make uh, seasons that we celebrate complicated. We make our walk with Jesus complicated. And um, so we get into this this area of complication or or making things complicated to where um, we kind of lose the joy of what things were meant to be. 
And see, it's not, it's not God who says, you know what, I'm going to make this complicated. It's us that do it. And then we start dreading something. And when we start dreading things, it all of a sudden the joy in it leaves. And I think that's a lot of times why we give up on so many things is because we tend to overcomplicate things. And our joy gets robbed of it, or of us in that moment. And so today I want you to go to 1 Samuel 16. Go to 1 Samuel 16. And I want to paint a picture for you. Um, I want to paint a picture for you in David 16, it's 6 to 13 is where we're going to go today. So if you want to bring that up. So with that, one of the things that I want to paint a picture for you. So there was a, the Israelites came in to their land and they claimed their promise, the, the land that was promised to them. And one of the things they did instead of appointing a, a, um, a king, which was a lot of the times what everyone else around them, other nations had and other kingdoms had, is they had a king. And so one of the things that God did that was different with his people, it says, we're not going to do kings, we're going to have judges. And so what would happen is God would appoint judges to kind of help facilitate and help rule and help make things go a little bit easier. But see, what happens is, is a lot of times, like in our own lives, the Israelites had this problem too. When God said, hey, here's the way things should be, and there was a reason why he implemented judges and not a king. Because the ultimate king is who? Him. And he didn't want his people getting mixed up with this idea that, hey, you have an earthly king or you have a, a, a physical king rather than your heavenly king. And yet at this particular time, it was ruled by judges. And just like we always do or people tend to do all the time is when people start making doing things their own way, things get what? Messed up, complicated. These judges became corrupt. And it was very easy for someone to bring an issue to them, and on the side of it, they would take a bribe because they wanted money or they wanted power or they whatever. And so you get to this point where the Israelites, they wanted a king, and they started saying, we want a king. And, and they were pushing on this particular judge at the time. His name was Samuel. And Samuel, they started saying, hey, we want a king, we want a king. And so, so he didn't know what to do. So like a wise man that Samuel was, he goes to God. He says, what do I do? They're asking for a king. And God says, go ahead and give them what they asked for. And so there was a king that was appointed. His name was Saul. And so they appointed Saul as king. And, and he was, things were going okay. But Saul had a problem with his life. Saul always wanted to know the answers beforehand. Anybody know about this? We always want to know what's coming. Saul had this issue. And Saul had this issue so badly that he wanted things to know things beforehand that he would go to mediums and he would go around about different ways to find out what was to come. And so God removed his favor from Saul. See, Saul was about him and not about his people. And so there was an issue with Saul's heart. And in this moment, as, as God removed his favor from Saul, he goes, I want to appoint a king that my hand is on, that I want for my people. And since you guys want this, this is what I'm going to do. And see, but here's what you're going to get when you get an earthly king. You're going to get somebody that's going to take from you because a king's just not going to rule for free. So he goes, here's what's going to happen. This king is going to take 10% of your land, 10% of your, of your, your wine, 10% of your crop, 10% of it. He's going to take from you and take. And because he's not going to do it for free. And so if you're okay with this, go ahead and, and we'll go ahead and make this happen. And they, they wanted this to happen. And so Saul was appointed. And so he messed up. And then God said, I've got someone else that I want to put in place. 
And so he calls Samuel and he says, I want you to go to this certain place and I want you to anoint a new king. And in this particular passage of 1 Samuel 16, 6 to 13, we see this particular thing take place. When they came, he looked on Elab and thought, surely the Lord anointing, anointed is before him. Now, let me just give you a quick update on who Elab is. Elab is, is just one of Jesse's sons. And so Jesse had a, a number of sons, and Jesse lived in Bethlehem, and Jesse uh, had, had some flock. He had some sheep because one of his sons was a shepherd. They, they took care of this. So that particular piece, just so you know who this is, and Elab was the oldest of the sons of Jesse. And so Samuel comes up on this. And so a lot of times what happens is, is when we assume something or in our minds when we go to a certain place and we automatically assume, well, this must be what God wants, we start to put our wanting and our desire on something God wants. And God quickly reminds us of something here. So when they came, he looked on Elab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance. Or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the... And today I want to talk to us about our heart and how we need to prepare our heart for Christmas. And how we need to prepare our heart for what God has for us in this season. Now here's what I know about the Christmas season. is this. There's always mixed feelings with Christmas. Some of us, we've had fond memories of Christmas, and so we love Christmas time, and we think it's like the best time ever, and so we do a lot to celebrate, and we do a lot to enjoy, and we, we fill our schedules with all kinds of things to make this a special time of year. And then some of us, we've lost dear loved ones during the Christmas season, and so Christmas becomes a time of dread and a time of sorrow and a time of, of pain. And so there's this, this difference that we have within Christmas time. Not only that, then we add on the stress of having to go out and buy and the stress and anxiety that comes with making sure we have all the right things. And, and it's interesting because even in, our own, in my own home, you know, we haven't even hit December 1st except for today. And then all of a sudden we were stressing out about Christmas gifts and what we're buying before that time. And it's like, wait a minute, we have 25 days before Christmas ever comes. And then I get, well, you know that um, not everyone's like you, Chad, and goes out on Christmas Eve to shop. By the way, your life would be a lot less stressful if you did it my way, but that's just me. I'm just kidding. There's this, there's this there's stress piece that we add on everything. We just pile it on, pile it on. And I think sometimes we miss out on this one thing that God doesn't care about the outward appearance of what we do, but he cares about our heart. And in our heart, we're filled a lot of times with anxiety and stress and bitterness and anger and resentment. Some of us have joy, some of all these different emotions that fill our heart. And what happens is, is because of that, we miss out on what God has for us. See, there was a man, young man that God wanted to start a line that he was going to bring our king into this world. He was going to bring our earthly king, our Messiah, into this world through this line. And in this thing, he made it very simple for us to grasp. He didn't make it complicated. 
16, it shows an individual whose heart was right. He didn't look at the man's height and the man's stature. He didn't look at anything other than the man's heart and says, this is who I want to start the line of generations that will eventually bring about my son, the Messiah, the ultimate king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one that's going to bring about salvation. And he started it way about a thousand, thousand ten years ever before Jesus was born. And see, here's the thing in all that we can get lost in all these different things that take place in life. But see, with this, there was a promise made to David about the future king that was to come. And it took a thousand and ten years for it ever to come into existence. Round about there. Now I want you to understand this. A lot of times we get upset because our timing is not God's time. And things don't happen as fast as we want them to. And things don't take place the way we want them to. And things don't work out the way that we want them to. Because in our timing, we've got to have things now. And we've got to have things come. So we make more and more things complicated because we've got to have it our way. And yet we come back to the story where the line of Jesus starts happening with David who was anointed as king. And by the way, do you know that he was anointed king before, long before he ever actually was appointed king? There was a season where he was anointed king ever before he sat on the throne. There was a season when he was anointed king that he went through, let's just say, hell on earth before he ever got the kingdom that was he was anointed for. There was a time when people, the one was after his life. They wanted to take his life. Not only that, but there was a time when he could actually take out the one that was after his life. And he refused to do so because it wasn't God's timing. See, when we start to put things on God and we start to make things the way we want them, and we start to try to manipulate things and try to fix things and try to, to organize things. And better, yeah, so here's the ultimate word. And you guys say it with me. When we say control, say I have a control problem. I have a control problem because we have a control problem in this world. As long as we can have things and we can control them, we're good. Guess what happens when we try to control something? We complicate it. And so let me have control, God. And he's like, you want control? Go ahead. Watch what happens. And things become complicated. And we look at him and say, why did you let this happen? And he says, well, you wanted control. Why are you blaming me for what just happened? God's saying, listen, first thing I want you to do is I want you to check your heart. I want you to look at your heart. Because that's what I care about. That's what matters most to me, is your heart. How is it today? What right now is getting in the way of you hearing from God this week? What are you doing or what are you trying to control that is messing up what God has in store for you? Because in this season, it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be stressful. It doesn't have to be filled with all the bad stuff that sometimes comes along with this season. It can actually be a time of joy and a time of celebration and a time of enjoying the coming and celebrating the birth of our King, Jesus. 
maybe, just maybe, if we stop trying to control everything and we just start trusting Him, maybe something different will happen. So in my heart, is my heart set on trusting God? See, when my heart is set on trusting God, then this particular passage becomes true. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Do you know that this particular son, Elam, was one that was standing on the, on the hill getting ready to fight the Philistines before David ran down the hill and took Goliath out? There was a good chance that this particular one, this particular son, was the one standing there that did not trust God and his favor on his people. And yet when David showed up, his, the older brothers that said, Would you stop running your mouth? Do you not see what we're up against? And David's the one that said, You know what? I've got God on our, we've got God on our side. Why are we afraid? And he takes off and he goes and he takes out Goliath. Why? Because he trusted the Lord. He trusted the Father. His heart said, I trust my God. Can we say that? Can we say that when things tend to fall apart or not go our way, that in the midst of things getting rocked in our own world, you know what? Today I'm going to choose to trust. The second piece, and as we go throughout the story, we see this in verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab, and I probably messed that up, but that's as good as I'm going to get today, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. Now let, let me kind of open this up for you a little bit. I'm willing to bet that Jesse didn't think too favorably of David. I'm willing to bet that Jesse wasn't like, you know what, someone go run and get David so that he can walk before Samuel. If he would have done that, he would have not been the one that had been a part of the ones that walked through him. No, he had David doing what? Go watch the sheep. He had David going and doing the dirty work. And he, I'm willing to bet that this particular dad says, you know what? He's the youngest. He's not like his older brothers. And so the best he can probably do is go ahead and go be a shepherd and go ahead and watch the sheep. By the way, <clears throat> Jesus is considered the ultimate king. But behold, excuse me, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. The line that Jesus comes from was the one that wasn't considered worthy to walk before Samuel by his dad, but yet he was the one that was tending to the sheep. He was the one that was tending to the sheep. 
I learned something very interesting over in Israel, and I want to share it with you. But some of you women have already known this, and here's how I, why I know this. Ready? I, they shared this story about how they used to keep sheep during the night. Because I used to think they just let sheep roam. No, they didn't. Because shepherds, like all of us, they like to sleep. And so in order for them to sleep, they have to place them in a particular place in order to guard them. So you know what they would do is they would take them, and there would be like a cave within the, within the, the hillside. And they would build a wall uh, across this cave and a door opening. And so what happened is they'd guide the sheep into this cave with the wall. And then what the shepherd would do is he would lay down in the gateway to keep the sheep from coming out and keep anything from coming in. I was like, oh, that's awesome. I've never heard that before. My wife goes, Chad, I know that. She goes, I feel so much better knowing something you don't. She kind of rubbed it in a little bit. She goes, if you would come to our Bible studies, you would have learned it too. I said, I'm good. But I want you to get this picture. Not only that, but David was the one that was willing to lay down his life for his flock. He was the one that would go and sleep in the gate to protect his flock. He would be out amongst his flock and ready to protect them from lions and from beasts. That was who David is, was. And so we think that just because he's a shepherd, what, what did God have for him? But yet it was the shepherd, the one beholding, watching the sheep, that God chose to bring about our king. And in this particular piece, we see this. And so what happens after this is this. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. I want you to get a picture of this. By the way, the, the shepherd's field wasn't right the, out the next door. There was a distance they had to run to get to where, or go to get him, bring him in. It wasn't like you rang the dinner bell and David came running in. So there was a, a place, so they all, he, Samuel says, we're not even going to sit down till this guy comes in. And then he goes on and he says this. So send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was Rudy and, and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. See, there was something about David. Even he looked pretty good. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. From that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. One of the things that's so interesting to me about this story is that this is that God is so interested in, in our heart and what our heart looks like. And the, one of the things that, that I love about this story is when you look at David, you see a man that truly trusts God. You see a man that trusts God no matter what. And to give you a, so a picture of this is when he was running from Saul, hiding for his life. Never once did he take matters into his own hand and take Saul out, although he had multiple times to do it. Not, so go even further. Samuel or David would go to, David, to God before they would go and fight the Philistines, and he would ask God, hey, are these, these going to be brought into our hands? And so he trusted God enough to go and ask them. So go a little further. David made one of the biggest blunders of his life, and he, and he slept with a married woman and got her pregnant, Bathsheba. And so not only that, he also had that woman's husband killed 
And so when he had her killed, they brought, they, he married the woman that he had gotten pregnant and brought her in. Not even that. God took that baby from him and the baby died. In the midst of pain and agony of losing a child that he loved, he sat there and he still trusted God. He still knew that God had him. See, some of us, we've messed up big time. We've made mistakes after mistakes and we continue to make them and and we've just done some stupid things. And the one thing that I'm learning about who God is and about our King is this, is that He is a God we can trust in the middle of all of it. And so in the midst of my mess-ups, does my heart still trust God? The second thing that I want to talk to you about with our heart is this. Is, is my, am I devoted to the task that God has for me? Am I devoted to what God has, has called me to? Or am I distracted? First Samuel 16, 11 to 12, we read that, see, David wasn't concerned about what his brothers were doing. He wasn't concerned about why Samuel was there. He wasn't concerned with anything other than doing what he had been called to do, which was care for the sheep. He was devoted to the task at hand. That kind of devotion means that my heart's right. When my heart's not right, I'm distracted. If I'm too worried about what everyone else is doing or what everyone else is getting or how great everyone else's life is, then my heart is distracted as opposed to, you know what? I'm going to be devoted to what God has called me to do. And in this particular piece, we see David. He didn't care much about what else was going on. He continued to remain devoted to what God had called him to do. And it's in that particular devotion that we get to see him out with the sheep taking care of what he had been called to do. We flip down, we go a little further in in David's life, and we see this also about David's heart. We see this piece in 2 Samuel 7, 12 to to 17. 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 17. If you want to go there, feel free. David was coming to the end of his life. And in the end of his life, he wanted, to, he, he wanted to do something for God. See, what had happened was the Ark of the Covenant was in a tent. And yet David had this nice house that he lived in, this, this palace that he lived in. And David was wrestling with this idea that here I am living in this nice palace, yet the Ark of the Cover, Covenant, which represented God's presence, among the people, which represented where God, where that Ark of the Covenant, when God's presence was there, and he's like, "How can I live in a nice palace when my this tent that there, this this Ark of the Covenant, covenant which represented God's presence, is in a tent, and I don't like this." And so he says, "I'm going to build a a a a place, a house for the Lord." And he got bent on doing this, and he started he started going after this particular piece. And yet a prophet came to David and said, "You know what? This isn't." For you to do. This isn't your job. One of the things that I'm noticing about David's heart was he was teachable. He was teachable. He allowed his heart, his desires to be changed because sometimes our desires and God's desires don't match up. Sometimes what we want and what God wants for us is aren't the same. And here's my question in this particular moment is, is, are you teachable? Or 
are you so rigid and determined to do what you want to do that you miss out on what God has for you? Because in this particular passage, we see this. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring after you. And this is God's response to David wanting to build this, this, this house. And he says this, I'll rise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I'll establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all the vision, Nathan spoke to David. Here's what we learn. When we, our heart is teachable, we're willing to receive things that go against what we, want, what we desire. And when things don't match up with what God, when our desires don't match up with what God has for us, are we willing to say, you know what, what you want for me, God, is more important than what I want. What you have for me is way more important than what I want for me. And David had a teachable heart. In this particular passage, we see a couple things in here that I want to get to later, but so keep a finger there. The last thing about our hearts is this. Are you ready to receive what God has promised? Are you ready to receive what God has promised? In other words, is your heart open to what he has for you? In that passage in 2 Samuel that we just read, God made a covenant with David. He made a promise to David that we get the benefit of today. Something that's, that God said through Nathan the prophet is something that set us up for something that was to come a thousand years later. And he made this particular statement within this passage. And if you miss it, it's okay. But I, want, I need you to understand a few things in this passage. God says to David, I'll raise up for you an offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Although in this particular thing he was meaning, the, the thing could have been easily said that was Solomon, because Solomon was David's son that would come after him and rule. There's more to it. In 13 he says, He shall build a house for my name, and that was Solomon. Solomon did build the temple for the Lord. But he goes on and he says this in that second thing. He says, and I will establish, and this is in 13, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now here's what we know. Solomon messed up so badly that it wasn't him who had the kingdom ripped from him. It was his son. And yet how in the midst can we look at this particular piece and say, wait a minute, God, this is what you promised that this would go on forever, that this kingdom would be established forever when it could, didn't take but one other generation to mess it up after David. Because he wasn't talking about Solomon's kingdom. He wasn't even talking about Solomon's kingdom. He was talking about Jesus. 
because when Jesus came, he established his kingdom forever. And there's nothing that can take it away. See, we make things so complicated and we get so messed up and all these other things that the world has to offer and all this other stuff, we just make it more and more complicated. And yet God says, listen, I need you to trust me. I need deep down in your heart just to believe what I say and to trust that I will fulfill what I tell you, tell you I will fulfill. And in this particular piece, we see it there. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. There's another little, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Go down to 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And the reason why that is true is because over a thousand years later, the king came in the form of a baby. And when the king came in the form of a baby, born in Bethlehem, the very place that David was called, anointed, we get a king that we can trust. Go to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, 1 to 3, it reads this. I'll give you a minute to go there. Isaiah 55, 1 to 3. Isaiah 55, 1-3 reads this. This is a promise that God made to His people. And I want us to grasp this piece. Like if you walk out of here with anything, here's what I want you to understand. Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come. Buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Let me paint a picture for you. We have a God that wants us to trust Him so much that He says, come to me when you're thirsty. Come to me when you're hungry. Come to me when you're, you're frustrated. Come to me when you've made things too complicated. Come to me when you're ready to give up. Come to me when you're ready to throw in the towel. Come to me. Come to me. Like, draw near to me. And He says, when you draw near to me, watch what I do in your life. Watch what takes place as you come to me. And here's my promise. If you come, here's what takes place in your life. I will pour more out on your life than you could possibly imagine. I'm not talking about wealth. Like we can't limit God to whether we're wealthy or not. I'm talking about true, true riches in life. A relationship with each other, with people that love us. A relationship with family. Or just those types of things. But yet or yet, the true riches of life, let's put all this stuff aside. You want to know what true riches of life are? Is a personal relationship with your Savior. If 
we belong to Jesus, we are rich. If we decide today I'm going to make my relationship with Jesus utmost, foremost, the most important thing in my life, then his blessing is that and that alone. Because through that relationship, he changes my life. And this particular piece, if we would just grasp this idea that if we would just come to our Father and we would draw near to Him, that what He'll unload on us will, will can totally satisfy our lives. And that this covenant relationship that He'll have with us will be one like He made with David. That He'll fulfill the promises He made in our life. The very mercy and faithfulness that guarantees David eternal kingdom can guarantee you all the joy and righteousness and peace of that kingdom. God is saying to you this morning, if you will come to me empty-handed and hungry, willing to receive what I give, then I'll write for myself in your presence a job description and bind myself with an oath to treat you forever with the same mercy and faithfulness that I have demonstrated in my covenant with David. The same mercy, the same faithfulness, thousand-year-old promise that came true by Jesus coming to earth in Bethlehem. And the idea of this is so simple that we have we can make it so complicated. See, David's strength was this, that no matter what happened, I'm going to trust God. David's strength was that, you know what, I have a God that loves me. And I'm going to make my relationship with Him the most important thing in my life. So much so that when the Ark of the Covenant kept got was brought back into the kingdom, He danced. He made a fool of himself to get that Ark. So much so that his wife said, you're making an idiot of yourself. Wouldn't it be amazing if people say that about us? Because we are so happy and so joyful to be in the presence of a God that there was nothing that restrained us. Our walk with Jesus can be simple. Christmas can be simple. If we simply check our hearts and start trusting Him with everything. Father God, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. That in a promise you made over a thousand, over a thousand years to David came true through for your son Jesus coming into this earth. That because he came, Father, that kingdom is established forever. My Lord, even as we look at David's life and all that he did and that that, that particular uh, line that your son came from. Lord, that we get to see the heart of a shepherd. And Lord, in Jeremiah 23, 5-6, you say this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. 
and this is the name by which you will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Lord, you made a promise to David. You made a covenant with him. And not in his timing or anyone else's timing, but in your timing, you brought about your son, the ultimate shepherd that will bring about exactly what you want in our lives and in this time. Lord, this is not complicated. This is very simple. Lord, we either choose to trust you today or we don't. So in the midst of all of this, Lord, may our hearts be one to trust you. And lay it out no matter what happens. We just trust you. Because you're the God that loves us. Lord, speak to our hearts. Let us hear what we need to hear. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So a couple ways to respond. The communion table will be open and you're free to go and take communion. And remember last week, or if you weren't here with us last week, one of the things we talked about was the, the matzah bread that's out today. And you can remember how our Savior was pierced. And then the stripes on there, they represent the, what he went through before he went to the cross. And then on the edges of the bread that burnt, that represents the bruising, the beating that he took for us. See, in that bread, it represents all everything he went through before he went to the cross how it was given for our salvation and then the cup which represents his blood that was shed for us and so as you take communion remember what he did for you secondly the offering bins are open and as God leads you to give and whatever he leads you to give you know I just ask that you would respond to him in that particular way because at life point we believe that God has blessed us with so much and in response to that we give back and lastly we can stand and sing Stand and sing praises to our God um, and, and respond to what he has done in our hearts. And then also, if you need prayer, uh, Rob will be over here to pray with you. So feel free to respond how God leads you. Let's stand and sing together.